This is Mushim. I'm speaking for the recording. And this is what April 27th, 2017. I was asked by the coordinating committee. There are suggested topics every Thursday night and the teachers rotate as you know. I was asked to by the coordinating committee to address the topic of Sangha as refuge. Sangha as refuge. <clears throat> and this refers to a Buddhist teaching uh, of what is called the Three Jewels, also known as the Triple Gem. And the Three Jewels are Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So I'm supposing that the previous two teachers did Buddha as refuge and Dharma, or Dhamma as refuge, and I'm on the third jewel, uh, Sangha or spiritual community as as refuge. How many of you have heard of the three jewels? Okay. Also, uh, yeah. And for uh, it is a custom for Buddhists to go for refuge. It's called us taking refuge or going for refuge in the three jewels of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. So I'm going to uh, chant, and you can chant along with me. The traditional way that chanting is learned uh, in Asia is usually you just kind of, um, just in traditional society, you just kind of make the sounds. So don't worry about getting it right. You can just kind of make the sounds. Our society is much more of a, uh, of a low context kind of society, and so people like to have everything spelled out. And then there can be medium. Some folks here are doing uh, Zen Buddhist training. And it's very typical of Zen. When I was in um, Santa Fe, New Mexico, practicing many years ago, I was in this adobe meditation hall. It was so nice. It was really cozy. Uh, it had no windows, though, so it was really dark in the pre-dawn uh, meditation. So we were meditating, meditating, and at the end, then there was some chanting. And one of the Zen priests came up behind me and he whispered in my ear, the good news is you get a chanting card. The bad news is it's too dark to read it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so this is one of the uh, traditional ways that uh, people go for refuge to the triple jewel of Buddha, Dharma, and Sangha. And so this is one of the, the ancient Buddhist languages, which is Pali. And it goes something like this. Buddham saranam gachami Buddham saranam gachami Buddham saranam gachami then we go on to Dharma. Dhammam saranam gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami. Dhammam saranam gachami. The third jewel is Sangha. Sangham saranam gachami. 
Sangam Saranam Gachami Sangam Saranam Gachami And if, then traditionally it would be done three times. So thank you, very beautiful. And you didn't need a chanting card. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Sangha, or uh, the third jewel, which means spiritual community, it originally in uh, Asian Buddhism, originally Sangha meant only monastics. And so I'm presuming uh, probably all of us are lay folks here. And uh, so we wouldn't, actually it would have been exclusive in the original Sangha. We, we would not have been members of the Sangha. However, as the Dharma, as these teachings and as these practices came to, um, came to North America, and we are very much of a lay society, and therefore the term Sangha, or spiritual community, came to, uh, came to embrace lay practitioners like us as well. And why not? Because uh, monastics are uh, expressing their practice in a certain way by living in intentional community together. And as lay people, we live in our own homes and we come together in intentional community regularly at meditation centers, uh, so it's different. Uh, it's a different way of expressing our practice, and at the same time, it is a way of practicing. So we are also a part of the Sangha, the many-fold Sangha. The topic, once again, is Sangha as Refuge. So without my going into it anymore, <coughs> if you would, could we just kind of have a few folks speak up loudly and say, what comes to your mind when you hear the word refuge? What does refuge mean to you? Safety. Safety. Relief. Relief? Okay, relief. Safety, relief. Wonderful. What else? Place of peace. Place of peace. Comfort. Comfort. Place of freedom. Maybe one more? Is, is there something different? Sanctuary. Sanctuary. You see we have a sanctuary statement actually on the front, uh, front doors. You might want to take a look at that. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, so we practiced a little bit of the loving friendliness or goodwill metta meditation at the end of that period of guided meditation. And we send out uh, the wish for everyone. The first definition or association with refuge was the word safety. And I think that is, uh, that is quite common. Certainly that's what I think of. Like a safe harbor in a storm is a refuge. And so with the metta meditation, we say, may you be safe and protected from harm, inner or outer harm. It could be physical harm or mental harm. It could be, uh, may you be safe and protected from enmity and danger. Understanding that all living beings uh, want to be uh, safe. No one wants to be uh, threatened. No one wants to be in fear. 
And uh, also, as I was preparing for this talk, and maybe I should just back up a moment and say some of you saw the Facebook posting um, for, for this talk. Uh, there's one Facebook posting a week for each teacher that's coming announcing the talk, and sometimes there's a photo of the teacher, sometimes there's some other image. So I found this image of my original Sangha, my original spiritual community, which was the Zen Buddhist Temple of Ann Arbor, Michigan, which I helped to found starting in 1982. So I started my uh, Buddhist practice there in 1982, Ann Arbor, Michigan, after graduate school. And I was at a turning point in my life, i.e. I was desperate <laughs> and very unhappy. And, uh, and I just discovered at one point, I, I loved being at the temple so much. I loved the people there. There weren't that many people because we were just starting, but the ones that were there were great. And uh, it was so exciting. I like to be at the start of new things, new projects. And so, and uh, in my degree as a Master of Fine Art, so I come from, from artist communities. Uh, and I just, I just discovered that I was either working, I was working in um, an office of a women's organization as their office manager, uh, or I was at the temple meditating and doing temple things. And I was basically using my apartment, which I was paying rent for out of my meager salary. I was using my apartment as a crash pad. Mm -hmm. So basically I was just going to, I was sleeping there. And sometimes I'd eat something there. And I thought, well, this is crazy. This is really unsustainable. And this does not make any sense at all. I've got to either figure out how to earn more money and make mm -hmm. my life more sustainable and like have a career, <laughs> or I need to just acknowledge I seem to be spending all my extra time in this uh, sangha, this spiritual community, with this Zen temple that's just starting up. And, and so the other alternative would be, which was very scary, which would be to give up everything I had, which wasn't much, but it was what I had, <laughs> and to uh, enter as a full-time renunciate. Basically, we were living a monastic uh, lifestyle in the temple as a resident. And I really thought about it, and I just thought and thought and thought, and I thought, what do I really want to do with my life? And I thought, you know, this is an opportunity that may never come my way again. I actually don't own that. My my greatest assets were a pretty good collection of contemporary poetry, because that was my field. <laughs> and I had some really great books that had cost me a lot of money, and I accumulated over the years. Other than that, I didn't have much of anything, and so I thought, you know, what the heck? Uh, this is my opportunity. I, I'm going to go for it. Uh, so I did. And I entered into that temple as a resident in uh, June, I think I moved in in May or June of 1983, and from there my life was on a monastic track there, and also then going to South Korea, which is where my spiritual lineage comes from, came back in from Korea in 1989, 
uh, 88 and had my son in 1989 and began a very slow, slow, slow crawl back up into lay life. Um, so that's been the trajectory of my practice and I've lived with a number of, of uh, practice meditation communities and have been on the board of San Francisco Zen Center so I've had a fair amount of experience with, uh, with Sangha. And having had that experience and talked about meta and all of this, as I was preparing for this talk, I thought, but you know, really the purpose of Sangha is not to create some safety in the sense of some kind of like baby crib. Mm -hmm. And you know, like with a crib, which I never used for my child actually, but someone gave me one. <laughs> so there was this crib and then you get these bumpers, like these cloth bumpers that you strap on so if the kid rolls over they don't injure themselves or bruise themselves and you put it inside and you make it, it's all padded. It's very, very padded it's, and it's supposed to be as safe as possible. So the purpose of Sangha is not to create that kind of safety uh, because that kind of safety is only needed for a very small amount of time uh, relatively speaking, in our human lives. And then we start to grow. If all goes well, we start to grow and uh, really pretty fast, too, and start doing all kinds of new things like waving our arms around and trying to figure out spatial relationships and making sounds, and then that, uh, that progresses until we have all of you. <laughs> so, and think about what a journey that has been. Now, literally, I mean, we're chuckling, but all the skills that you needed to learn, that you still need to learn, uh, adult life is, it's just a lot of stuff. It really is. Um, can be very complex and, and time-consuming. So, I think that uh, speaking as a mother... Uh, what I really mean when I do the meditation of metta, of loving friendliness, of goodwill, of loving kindness, is this. Um, uh, what I feel, I, and we're a very social justice and activist community here at East Bay Meditation Center. That's, that was why we, was, we were founded. So what I think I really mean is, may you be safe from cruelty, from human cruelty, I mean, we don't really, uh, we weren't born being cruel. That is, that's learned and that's conditioned. So may you be safe from cruelty and may you be safe from oppression. Once again, all of the social structures that create uh, unearned privilege and more access to more resources for some and less access for others. All of that was created by human beings. And I would wish everyone to be safe and not to be subjected to those, uh, to those kinds of systems and inequities. I think what I mean is may you be protected, not from everything in life, but from discrimination, from suppression, and in the case of this area and many others, from gentrification and displacement, which we're increasingly, increasingly seeing. Uh, it's um, huge in the Bay Area. I think what I mean uh, when I 
do this loving kindness meditation is may you be strong and healthy by having healthy food and clean air and clean water and access to nature trails and gyms and yoga classes and places to dance and feel beautiful in your body just as it is. This year, 2017, we're not only celebrating 10 years of EBMC, we've also launched a major uh, disability justice initiative that we're trying to spread across every level of all the various parts of EBMC. The teachers are being trained, uh, there are, uh, there's literature that's available, and we're urging everyone who is not familiar with the basic principles of disability justice, Google it, do some reading. There's some things that would only take you about 10 minutes to read that are really, really helpful to instill that at the core of EBMC so that we're looking at everything through the lens of disability justice. So that's people of all bodies and minds. On Sunday evenings, we have this wonderful little group called Everybody, Every Mind Sangha for people with disabilities, chronic illness, and chronic pain. And I think um, I'm one of the teachers there, and because of the challenge of adapting uh, and filtering the Dharma through the needs of this particular community, I think some of the the really the most uh, dynamic teaching at EBMC has gone on in that group. Nothing has been recorded. And, uh, and now we'll hopefully we'll be able to spread some of that creativity and dynamism uh, from that group across EBMC as well. When I say may you be peaceful, may you understand, uh, I, what I mean is may you understand that this country has been at war, is now at war, and I hope that because of poverty and loneliness uh, or some other need that you don't need to feel that joining the military is your only option. Uh, I did get a call one night from a member of the Sangha who is a young person who felt that because of the, their fear of homelessness and also their fear of isolation that perhaps their only option was to, uh, was to go into the military. And I said to this person uh, who, was, who was very, very desperate, and I understood that, and I, I said, I can understand what you mean. My father was a military person, so you've come to the right person. I'm not actually anti-military per se, because my dad got so much out of the Army and my uncle George was a career military person. I said, however, uh, do you understand? Do you understand that if you do go into the military in the United States, that you could be deployed to a war zone and you could be asked to kill other people and you could be threatened yourself? And this person said, no, I hadn't thought of that. Mm -hmm. uh, because of the desperate situation they were in. And I said, well, that is the case. So let's think about what other options might be available to you. And this story in and of itself is, is a model of how in spiritual community we can be there for one another. Not to say this is what you need to do or you, I can't even believe you would consider that. No, 
We are here to listen deeply to one another, to empathize with one another. If I were in your situation and we put ourselves in that person's situation, usually things make sense because people are really smart and they are trying to find uh, the best path for them. So usually there's a logic there. And once we are able to understand that, then we're better able to say, well, look, maybe let me help you think this through and think uh, what, what might be available to you. Let me, um, you want to get together for lunch, want to get together for coffee? Uh, maybe we'll, we can video conference. Uh, and, then <clears throat> and then you'll know that uh, you may feel alone, uh, you really aren't alone because the Sangha, the community, is here for you. So this is all very practical and gritty stuff <clears throat> about how Sangha can be a refuge. Because a real refuge <clears throat> isn't actually about being confined to being safe. I think it's about having a place and a space where we can learn and grow where we can create, and because we are human beings, where we can make messes, <coughs> and then where we can forgive, there is a forgiveness practice, and learn how to meet our goals, both individually and collectively, with as little harm as possible, and the greatest harmony uh, uh, that is possible. I would personally add, it's my value about Sangha as refuge that we also have as much fun as possible. <laughs> so, uh, in my point of view, we want Sangha to be the place where we, we do have an agreement. We're not just sort of randomly showing up here. We do agree to become mindful together, to practice mindfulness in its simplest form, which is meditation, and then to see how mindful we can become in uh, applying it to this very large set of challenges called human life and to the challenges which are called living in and being in community with one another. Because I think it's important to remember that in my view at least uh, that we are very strong. We're challenged, we're certainly, uh, each of us has wounds, each of us has injuries, myself included, and people are really very, very strong, magnificently strong, as some of our ancestors were uh, magnificently strong. I hope that you can say that about some of or many of your own ancestors. This is not in some idealized, perfect way. Uh, it's in, in the real way of what our folks went through to establish themselves, uh, to raise their families, to get jobs, to get by in environments that were often hostile, uh, and they did that, perhaps very imperfectly and perhaps injuriously, uh, and here we are. Somehow, we have found our way here with the spiritual intention and the goodness of our hearts. Uh, and strong people do not want to be confined. So I was just at uh, Green Gulch Zen Center over adjacent to Muir Beach on Monday. I work as a diversity and inclusion consultant as well as a Dharma teacher. And I was doing a training for that community. 
And I lived there when I was a single mother 26 years ago for a year with my uh, child when he, he had just started to walk uh, very, in a very wobbly fashion. I guess, I don't think he really wobbled. He just liked to throw himself down. <laughs> he was, he was so filthy. Oh my God. You know, because it's a farm. It's a rural center and it's all dusty and there are these paths and stuff. He'd take a few steps and he'd throw himself down and he just looked like pig pen. He was covered with mud and dirt. He loved it. He was very earthy. Um, and so I was remembering as I, parked my car in uh, the, the residence parking lot at Green Gulch Farm Zen Center. I had such a wonderful feeling. I'd gotten there early, which was great, so I got out of my car. It was a beautiful day, and I, and I kind of looked up from that, uh, that parking lot, and there's a sort of a little wall there to hold the, the, the earth from crumbling in and from eroding. They put, I, I think they cast it in cement, used to be wood. And then there's this weed-covered, actually pretty steep slope that goes up and you'd have to take some stairs up and you enter this beautiful area called Spring Valley. And I had such a memory there because I remember that uh, when we were there, uh, my son used to call it the dangerous place. He actually didn't talk that much, but he called this the dangerous place. And whenever we got near it, he would just start running like hell and run towards it. And then he'd start rolling down it, shouting with joy, the dangerous place, the dangerous place. And I'd be racing forward trying to grab him by his clothes and bring him back. Thinking, what is wrong with this kid? You know, you're like you don't go towards the dangerous place. You don't try to avoid it. But he loved it, the dangerous place. That was his place, and that taught me something about human development. That it is our nature to be adventurers, and it is our nature to be explorers. We want to be safe, and we also want to be adventurous. Because if we're not adventurous, and if we're not exploring, then we might be stagnating. And that does not work for most human beings. Humans have invented technology to blast us into what we call outer space, and the technology of meditation launches us into inner space. And there we explore our inner galaxies, the great swirling systems in which stars and planets are born and pulled into orbit and decay and die. So it's considered in these teachings of the Dharma that everything that we see outside of ourselves, we also contain within our larger selves. That there is nothing in the universe outside of us that is not also within us. That is how immense our potential is as individuals and as interconnected individuals in community. Sangha as refuge means to find spiritual friends with whom we can explore have adventures, and grow and create in the service of life and in the service of love. Here at East Bay Meditation Center, also in the service of social justice and of peace. And this great adventure is not easy. So a very traditional story of what Sangha is all about 
uh, was again in this Facebook post, and this just comes from traditional teachings within the Dharma, and it said that Sangha, or spiritual community, community of practitioners, is like a bunch of potatoes. I did not make this up. So have, how many of you have uh, had the good fortune to be able to harvest potatoes that are growing in the earth? Yeah, quite a few. So when you dig them up, do they look like when you get them at Safeway and they're all clean and everything? No. No. They, they grow in the soil, and so you pull them up from under the soil, and they're covered with soil. And so it is said that you could, of course, uh, go to some water and carefully and painstakingly wash each one, or you could take the whole lot of them Throw them into a big basin of water, uh, or put them in and put water over them, and then what you do is you take a big stick. Mm-hmm. You get a big stick, and you just agitate it around, you know, kind of like you're, you're making your own human-powered washing machine, <laughs> and you just go, and you just back and forth and very, very vigorously <laughs> in the water, and then what happens is the p- potatoes rub together. They rub together. And it cleans all of that soil off and it settles down and rubs some of the the rough spots on the skin off. And then you give them another rinse and then they're ready to nourish the entire community. Uh, So that sounds great until you uh, reflect that we are those potatoes. So Robert Aitken Roshi, uh, who was um, one of the great United States Zen masters and an old friend of mine, uh, very famously said, he was kind of a dry old gentleman, and he, he was rather kind of stuffy in the way he came across, but he wasn't stuffy at all in reality. And he, he's, he once said, wherever more than a few people gather, there are problems. <laughs> <laughs> and never were truer words spoken. <laughs> So conflict is natural. Why is that? It's because we are different. Diversity means difference, and we are different. We have different backgrounds. We have different views. We have different ideas of how to do things and how to achieve the same goals. We have different goals. And so uh, Sangha as refuge does not mean that we try to create a place where there's never any conflict, where there's never any difference because uh, that is not real peace. Real peace is when we're able, in safe and respectful ways, to be able to express ourselves fully as we are and then to have the adventure, to have the exploration of saying, all right, given all that we are, in similarities, in difference, in difference of needs, given all that we are, how do we create a place that can be a model, imperfect as it is, a model for how we want society to be? Another way of languaging it is to say, can we create the community in which we want to live and in which we want to raise our children and take care of our elders? Sometimes that's called a prefigurative activism or visionary activism and to say on a smaller scale can we create what we'd like to see on the bigger scale and that is the challenge that is 
The Adventure of Sangha as Refuge. And um, my wish for all of us is that this great experiment called East Bay Meditation Center, uh, that your experience here over time, if you continue to come, is amazing. Because when we are amazed, uh, we open up. We are surprised and sometimes stunned with our potential for greatness and for our lives to grow to be larger than what they were before we were in Sangha. That's what I regard as Sangha, as refuge is, and it's my greatest wish for all of you and for us together, is that we grow, that we learn, that we fight, that we kiss and make up, (laughs) and that we grow wiser together, day by day, week by week, and breath by breath. Thank you very much. We have some time for your insights or questions, which I would try to answer. Is there someone here who can take the mic around? Thank you very much. (coughs) For those of you who are new, uh, we do ask you to use the mic. It's a kindness to others. Uh, There may be folks here with hearing issues. And so once again, that disability justice lens Uh, We want everyone to have access. All right, thank you for the wonderful talk. I really like the analogy of potato washing, and uh, I'm curious about how you create the container for that, where agitation um, is still safe among people. Thank you. That one's easy. I'm going to point right up here. We have agreements for multicultural interactions uh, that are proving over time they, they are just incredible. They're really, really a good set of agreements, and we are a multicultural uh, sangha. These are all practices. These are not kind of cut and dried, oh yeah, those are rules and we follow them. Each of these is an investigation. It's a very deep, it's a lifelong uh, lifelong practice. So these these agreements actually form the equivalent of the basin in which the potatoes go. Like we do have a physical container, right? However, what's most important is that we, we agree as a community, for instance, on con- confidentiality that creates safety, right? And that we can go deep and we can reveal ourselves to one another and that we can trust that the folks around us are not going to be taking our personal business and sharing it with other people whom we don't know. That's a very basic form of safety. And also, uh, it creates a lot more safety in Sangha and therefore the, the, the able to build up relationships so that when we do have conflict, we're able to work it through with more love, with more ease, if people practice self-focus. And that means uh, to say, in my opinion, in my experience, I'm speaking for myself instead of saying, well, everyone knows that there's no way we're going to do it that way. Well, unless you've taken a poll, you don't actually know. 
Um, and sometimes people will say, um, myself included, will say these kind of things so that we can be right and we can win the argument. However, it does not help in Sangha life. Each of us has our own truth and um, others can speak for themselves. Thank you. the lecture on the baby in the crib and you said that um, you put the uh, I guess you call those bumpers yeah or whatever they're called those protect that the baby but I feel you said we only need that for a short time mm -hmm. somehow um, I I don't agree with you with that I think we need it at intervals during our life cycle because there are times when things come to you that you need that protection, you need that bumper so that uh, you can get over, you can get through it and move on with your life. So it's not there all throughout your life, but it should be there at intervals, especially as you move through losing loved ones, becoming ill, and other things that happen to you along this life cycle. You do sometimes need to go back to that crib to get that bumper and get that feeling of safety, security, to move forward. Thank you very much. That's very, very wise, and I totally agree with you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for your talk. I really appreciate it. Um, I think the opening and a lot of the like travesty and difficulty that you kind of explained was very painful, but I appreciate also your joy and um, sort of your, your compassion that you outlined. Uh, so um, thank you for that. And I was just wondering, you know, I, I appreciate you explaining what Sangha, or is that say Sangha? Yeah, I, I don't know anything. I really, someone referred me here and I was like appreciative. I've been doing the yoga. I'm super excited and learning and keeping open and and um, but the difficulty I'm having is like feeling selfish, like um, like that I have privilege to be able to learn about this and know about this place, but that people, many other people, are suffering and um, are in those situations or they're you know dealing with a lot of trauma, a lot of crisis, and a lot of people who are just exercising a lot of violent behaviors and not comfortable, not not taking steps to to you know. To, to take responsibility for that. So how do you, I'm um, just kind of struggling with that, thinking about like how, what you would, your thoughts are on that, those reflections that I've been having. Well, thank you for your, why don't you keep that up for the moment. Just, you know, thank you for the kindness of your heart. I really feel that. Uh, and your concern for, for other people. So my suggestion would be that, um, I mean, everyone has their own path, and people also have their own resources and their own communities. Um, uh, there are very strong uh, uh, church communities and uh, people with a very deep practice of prayer and contemplation. Uh, there are many strong yoga communities in the East Bay, uh, lots of different uh, healing communities uh, in the Bay Area that we're very fortunate to have, and there are people who don't have access. To, to these healing modalities exactly as you say. 
So my suggestion is if you find something good for yourself here or in any other practice that you're doing, just think about how you can share it with others in a culturally sensitive way. This is not about forcing anything on anyone. Like, you must meditate. It will really lower your stress. <laughs> it will be good for you, and therefore you must, you know, you'll become totally unpopular. <laughs> that having been said, uh, uh, mindfulness itself is not, is not religious. It is not, um, it does not belong to any one group of people. So the more mindful that you become, uh, as, and that as you embody it in your life, other people will notice. I can guarantee that to you, and it will, it will help them. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I just struggle because I feel like I encounter on the daily a lot of microaggressions with people, particularly white people, that I work in the world where I'm the only person, like, I have a lot of intersections in my identity. And so I feel like sometimes it's hard to see that I, I understand and I hear that a lot. Like, oh, the way you are. I heard, been hearing another talk, but I'm just struggling to believe that that is real because people just walk around with and they, you know you tell them that that's not appropriate or that's harmful it's really violent and they just are comfortable not and not held accountable so yeah but thank you yes i i understand what you're saying thank you mm -hmm. hi Marjorie. thank you so much for sharing your knowledge with us this evening thank you for all the love Thank you for all the love that you always give to to our community. And for me, you're like a, a like a Buddhist recipe book. <laughs> because you always have the right ingredients for what I'm meeting. <laughs> yeah, but I have a question about 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 like about something you said that that I'm having kind of like I'm trying to kind of go I've been kind of spinning in my head and I'm trying to figure out how to like process it. It's about forgiveness. Yeah, it's about when you're like still a potato. But you're a somewhat, somewhat clean potato, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's like, in the Korean community, it's like you have to be around people who are also potatoes, like me. Yeah. You know, and uh, we're the same, we the same, you know, we're in the same place, right? And uh, so, yeah, so my question is, like, when you're trying to create or recreate or co-create or define a different way of or like to one another based on respect, they maybe you know love, you know, community, what true community is without a better time or you know Yeah, so that's 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 just um, that's just basically my question. I also wanted to thank you for talking about the disability thing, because that's actually one of the issues that has, that, that relates to that. I'm half deaf and I have to read people's lips. I went to Stanford, UC Berkeley, San Jose State, and uh, folks assume that I'm stupid. Oh. When I have to say, uh 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 you know, or um, so, so yeah. So the disability part is like, is like, it's it's something that that you heard very very rarely hear, and I think it has to do with the definition of manhood, being a macho and being a man, and taking it like a man that you can't be a little bit of hard of hearing. Yes. Yeah. Sometimes disability is your weakness, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah you're weak or you're imperfect in some way, and exactly. So so how how would you like work around like? Forgiveness, and I'm looking beyond like racism and white people. Like, what about forgiveness? The, you know, the wisdom around forgiveness is, isn't just uh, Buddhist. And there are classes on forgiveness that are taught here. There is a forgiveness uh, practice. 
Uh, is it on? Yes? Okay. Just look down. So, uh, thank you for asking. So, the wisdom of forgiveness that comes from so many different traditions, which I myself have found to be true, is that uh, we decide to forgive if we can, because it's not always available to us, but we decide our decision to forgive an injury does not mean we let the other person continue to injure us. That's the first thing. It is not about, oh, okay, I forgive you, so do that to me again. No, we need appropriate boundaries, and so that's the first truth we need to know. The second is we decide to forgive not in order to help the other person. It is to help ourselves. It is to liberate ourselves and provide a healing medicine for all of the ways that hatred, that resentment, that going over and over the story of how we were injured, if we've done everything we can, of not being able to let it go. There is a quotation that's used in nonviolence training. Um, no one knows exactly where it's come from. I've kind of looked around, uh, but it came from someone who I think was very brilliant, and that person said, hating another person is like swallowing poison and expecting the other person to die. So if we look at it that way, forgiveness is the most practical thing that we can do in order to free ourselves up to live the lives we want. Thank you.
Like I even in, in conversation and through some friends know if I if I have something heated and, and powerfully like boiling over in me, I say I have to say this, and it's a risk for me to share this with you. Yeah. I say that often, not hopefully not as often, but um, but if something's like vulnerably like yeah. emotion e emotional for me, I say I have to. I'm sorry for interrupting, but this is a risk for me to share, and that usually gets the other person's attention in a big way because it's not. From my experience, not shared in conversation that often, or it's it's something it's like a, it's like a big word, or a big impact word, and and I'm thinking like how we hear um, or how I see us here, sort of creating beloved community, bumping up in potatoes, <laughs> and how that that friction that is really an opportunity underneath it. And that's the opportunity to be brave together. Um, and I guess a, underneath all of this is a question of how do we bridge bravery and safety mm. through practice, like finding that sense of groundedness. Um, um, you posted something on Facebook, so it was relatively public. I'm going to refer to it now, if that's OK. You mentioned something about your son and how you asked him like what, solid, what an example of solidarity. And this stayed with me. I talked to my mom about this. This is this was for me. It landed in a really resonating and powerful, like visceral, blowy open kind of way. Like the definition of solidarity, or examples of solidarity, was to be in solidarity with oneself. Yeah. Like, what does that look like? And for me, not only that being like a phenomenal conversation between a parent and a grown child, but also, bringing it here, like what does solidarity look like to be in solidarity with myself while with other potatoes? And that would only make sense in this conversation. <laughs> how, how can we bridge that, bring that solidarity to be brave and to be safe and to take risks and to breathe? You know? So if you could talk on that for... Yes. <laughs> I, I can actually thank you so much for bringing that up. I'm going to recommend a book to those of you who like to read. This is, I think, by one of the great um, uh, uh, teachers of color in the United States today. That's my friend Galen Ferguson, G-A-Y-L-O-N, last name Ferguson. He's with the Shambhala organization. He's a great teacher. He's a great writer. Uh, and. He, uh, he wrote a book some years ago that I just love called Natural Wakefulness. Uh, I think Awakening the Wisdom We Were Born With um, or, or Connecting to. And so his more recent book, uh, Sierra, is called Natural Bravery. <coughs> yeah, and it's really good. Uh, Galen is just a big-hearted, really smart, wonderful, wonderfully wise Dharma teacher. Uh, and so I do recommend natural bravery, and I think how we can become, uh, have solidarity in our own potato-ness <laughs> with all the other potatoes is that we understand that we go for refuge, so there's a kind of a, that indicates a linear movement, like I'm here and I want to go here. I'm going to go for refuge to another place, to the Buddha, to the Dharma, the Buddha are teaching teachers. Uh, awakened teachers. The Dharma are the teachings of wisdom and compassion. The Sangha is us, the community of mindful practitioners. So I don't have all of you living with me. Mm -hmm. To come to Sangha in this 
case, I come here to East Lee Meditation Center. So there is a physical movement, right? Mm-hmm. And there's another very deep meaning of the taking refuge, which is I go for refuge to the Buddha in me. Mm-hmm. And it's considered each of us has the nature of the awakened being. I go for refuge to the Dhamma, my own wisdom and compassion for myself and for my ancestors. And I also can go for refuge to the Sangha in me. For in me, I contain many people, I do, and, uh, and, and many living beings. And so inside myself, I also have a very safe Sangha. Thank you. We reached the end of our time together. Was there any announcements that anyone needs to make? I'm seeing one announcement here and then announcement here. Yeah, hi, Asia. Uh, this just announcement is that if we could get volunteers to help clean up after uh, this, this ends, um, I could use some people to help take out the trash and do other fun things like that. If you want to help, um, just let me know. I was going to stand up here so that way it's easier. You don't have to crane your neck and stuff. How you all doing? Um, my name is Sierra. I'm announcing something that has a timer, a time frame on it. How many of you were here last week? So you already heard me announce this um, last last week to this to this week. I'm with an organization called Buddhist Peace Fellowship, which is locally based but actually has a global and a national network around looking at so the intersection between social justice and the Dharma, social justice and Buddhism. And we have um, been bequeathed, that's such a weird word. We, um, we had the, the, the honor of being bestowed um, a portion of someone's estate after they transitioned. And so we have had an unexpected amount of cash that we're trying to figure out how we can support the community with. And what we're doing is giving away $10,000 by splitting it into five two $2,000, I mean, my money, my money right, five $2,000 awards for activists or practitioners that are engaging with that intersection, dancing between social justice and dharma. And 2,000 bucks would, could help you with your next project or, or like help someone with a retreat practice or allow some ease with rent, you know, things are, things are real around now. And, um, I don't know, how many of us do social justice work? How many of us like Dharma stuff? How many of us could use an extra $2,000? The deadline or quote, that's a weird word too. The, um, the, the clock is ticking and, it, and the bell will ring <laughs> um, tomorrow at 11 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. So if you look up BuddhistPeaceFellowship.org, it's the SOMA Award, S-O-M-A. It's named after, I think, the first Bikuni. I can't remember the details. I could be incorrect on that. But there's more information on the website. And I strongly recommend checking it out because it's not only a chance to get the money, it's also a chance to really reflect on the type of work that you do or the things that you do or how you move in the world. For me, I'm on the board and I can't apply, but I really want to because it's like an opportunity to look at how I'm doing my stuff and see if it fits. How can I move that extra place forward to get towards refuge you know, and embody refuge in my daily life? So I think I'll, I'll just take the application and just answer the questions anyways. Um, and I wanted to offer that 
as an act of generosity to all of you. Um, I know there's an event coming up on Saturday, and I think that's what Dennis wants to talk about. And I wanted to give you a big moment of gratitude, Lucian. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you. Hi, I'm Dennis, and this is Bong. And uh, Raul, who gave the Dhamma talk earlier, as well as a few other men of color, are a part of a deep refuge group that are holding a container for um, uh, uh, movement through Oakland uh, this Saturday from 10 to 2, a half day long. It has been a really powerful part of our uh, last couple of day longs that we had, where we uh, walked in silence to uh, Franco Vigal Plaza and or along the lake. Um, some of the deepest Sangha practice I've ever had in terms of when I got tired after lunch and I was feeling like I can't go on anymore. Just the trajectory of the men of color in silence moving forward just uh, sort of, I sort of felt like I rode the wave of that and my breath back into the center, finding myself really like deep in, like a deep practice that I haven't, re a deep practice that I haven't, hadn't really felt except from Christian and retreats and stuff. So. I, um, I, uh, I do believe that uh, we are trying to create an, a radical form of sangha between men of color that maybe uh, the causes and conditions in society don't necessarily allow. We're definitely looking to work with our, our male privilege as well as uh, deal with our oppression and I believe that this is one of the ways that we'll be doing that. So if you are a self-identified man of color or you've, uh, you have a people that you know that are self-identified men of please have them come to the EBMC reg uh, website, register, it's 10 to 2 this Saturday evening here. Um, we'll be walking in silence to the lake, having a silent lunch, uh, and then walking back. One more announcement. Um, there was a something I shared on my Facebook that was a queer space here in Oakland that was needing money to um, avoid being evicted or some drama. And I just saw an update that they got their money, 75000 So I just wanted to um, bring that with the theme of Sangha and magic that we can create, uh, just so everybody knows. There is some good stuff happening in the world sometimes. Um, and also, I did do that. Um, you mentioned the the award thing you would It's only two pages, two questions. It's so easy. <laughs> so do it. That's all. <laughs> Thank you very much. May your journey home or to the next place be safe. And if you like, you're always welcome uh, to help us by putting the chairs and the mats and cushions away so that the space can be ready for the next group. Thank you.
No one knows because you can never tell. He, uh, he works with, as I understand it,
Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking about it. There's many examples from it. I was thinking about what Sierra was saying. Grant is that I hope whatever comes from it, that they're able to, uh, to uh, understand the learning from the projects and even uh, like have theories based on giving the grants of like, oh, we think we're going to be able to learn X, Y, and Z from that, or we may be able to test A, B, and C from this, and then because we want to learn this, this, and this. And then to be able to reflect back the learnings that came from the projects, you know, successful or not. Um, so I, so I've been taking that into like a lot of what what we do. Yeah, testing and learning and then doing something better. Yeah, yeah. more sis, uh, systematic ways to fail. Yeah. yeah. And I wanted to ask for you personally. Yeah. Kids, what's your podcast? Or recent discovery on how you learned that you can do Um My tip is um, um, data and statistics are are always traced back to the behavior of people. Yes. Looking at it from that lens is how you can learn from your data. Yes, oh, that's brilliant. Because you know they say liars, figures lie and liars figure. So it's, it's yeah. what you're doing with that data. Well, I think I like the, the phrase um, statistics are people too. Yes, gotcha. <laughs> because they are. Yeah, they, <laughs> like, are. they are. They really <laughs> are. And we don't, we don't know that. And so, if you if it doesn't trace back to human behavior, then you're just uh, you know then you're just like you're dehumanizing data, and then you're focusing on whatever the shiny vanity data is. Yes. Uh, but if your goal in whatever project you're doing if, is to influence human behavior or to create opportunities for a certain type of human behavior encourage, discourage others, then you actually need to know whether or not what you're doing influences human behavior at all. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, if you get 10,000 people to uh, do X, what did they actually do? Yes. And that's actually part of now uh, the studies and analysis of people doing like what yeah. are they actually doing. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, exactly. And then, oh, I think that's perfect because, and what did you, because I think, I think you even said it, like, a lot of this is learning the same thing again, like relearning and relearning, but are we even relearning better, and are some people's practice learning in a different way, like, how can some folks be here 10 years, some be here, you know, 10 minutes, and maybe experience a similar Exactly. Right. Exactly. No, that's that is completely true. And I wonder, I wonder, like, how okay. EBMC keeps data. Like, what data do we keep in mind? Oh well, we can answer all of that. Yeah. Xiao Jing would be our person. Huh. Yeah. We keep data of things like the number of visits to EBMC, uh, to the extent that we can, you know, we have some hard data. But even this is a perfect example. 
So let's say there's 10,000 visits a month. Right, right, right. Does that right, mean right. there's 10,000 people coming into the door? Yeah. Probably not. No, that's what we mean. Well, now, it might be the same person, but it's say it's you and you come in that's every what I'm week, saying. that's four visits. Right. I'm talking about how many individuals is that? Uh, that, a little harder to say, but we could tell you how many individuals are in our database. Mm. And, then, and then the people who show up, you have like, you know, basically like, are they from a referral person who had been here? That we don't that's, that's beyond us. Interesting. Let's be honest. Right yeah. Now. Maybe sometime, but uh, our database was put together by volunteers, so we have struggled with it, and we now did put some money into hiring professional teams oh, wow. to bring it into alignment with a new website. And, uh, okay. We're, yeah. And I just took a course on digital security for organizers, so we're going to do a threat assessment. We're we're doing well. I think. Right. That's awesome. Can I share with you my latest one? Yes, please. I like post-its. I'm really into <laughs> sticky notes. Uh -huh. And so I discovered, I like office supplies, these post-its that are this big. <laughs> and this beautiful canary yellow color. So what I've been doing is uh, uh, I put a post-it on my wall in my room, and I've been writing uh, quotes. Huh. that I want to memorize or that I want to connect with on a mm -hmm. daily basis. So my favorite right now is James Baldwin, which is uh, uh, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed until it is faced. Yeah, which goes so well with the meditation that, that we do. So that's my that's my latest. Have you ever uh, uh, listened to his debate with Malcolm X? You know, I think it's on YouTube. Yeah. And I am going to listen to it. It's fantastic. Yeah. I mean, it's debate, but it's kind of a big common conversation, but it's so. Because I watched uh, again on YouTube. It was his debate, uh, like Harvard or something like that. But with some white guy, yeah, famous yeah, yeah, yeah. white guy. Was it Corbett? Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I forget, but it was it was it was really good. Uh, they were smoking. Was it the one they were like, smoking? Who uh, he always smoked? Because <laughs> <laughs> back when on TV everybody like smoked. Yes. <laughs> it was so wild. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, yeah, but I I want to see them born again. Yeah. It's brilliant, especially for these times where I think there's like becoming emerging third rail. Yes. Because at the end of the day, wasn't necessarily a political actor. He wasn't an organizer. Yeah. He was an artist. And that's like a third rail that we so rare to have. I'm very close with uh, Fabiana Rodriguez. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Was an artist, but also a very dedicated leftist. Yeah. yeah. And wow. An organizer. See her work everywhere. Yeah. Everywhere I go. Yeah. It's so distinctive, right? Thank you for this. And now she's like, in, she's been recently um, mm -hmm. part of working with her to like lead organizations. She's actually an amazing organizational leader, but someone who wouldn't. Uh, be in that sort of fell into that position but I'm core as an artist but, but could easily be like like a non 
nonprofit leader or a um, uh, spokesperson or a organizer. At the end of the day, it's amazing to see how, but it's, it's so rare. So to see that, that skill set shine and just actually is a really good people manager. Amazing. Like could like she could manage a, a large firm of hundreds of people if that's what she wants to do, but she wants to be ours. Well you know there are just kind of renaissance or multi talented people who do have to make some decisions. <laughs> so I like it. I like the post it I love those things. Yeah. I, that's how I did a whole writing fellowship. I got a month of subsidized writing and wrote the fellowship in 2009. And what I did was I outlined a bunch of chapters that I wanted to write, and I wrote the title, the working title, each and one post-it. And then on my wall above my desk, I put them all here, and whenever I completed a rough draft, I'd move the post-it over. And I just kept moving them huh. over, and at the end of a month, I pretty much covered everything. Oh, wow. <laughs> I felt great. So that I could have a visual yeah. of my progress. Yeah. And I'm a very disciplined writer. Yeah. So um, I just I just went in it. I didn't go into Chicago to the Museum of Art. I didn't do anything. I stayed. I just stayed huh. in my room, and I wrote and wrote and wrote and wrote. And I moved the post-its. That's like, what is that? That's like lean manufacturing. The, I forget what the Kanban or whatever it is. It's like right done in progress. Mm -hmm. Something else. Mm -hmm. And that was just really inspiring to me because I could I see I could see it forming yeah. this body of new work. Yeah, that's really cool. And then the last thing I did before I left that place was I printed it all out in hard copy in their printer, huh. and I took it into their conference room when no one was using it, and I spread it all over the conference desk <laughs> so I could. I could yeah. feel it. I could feel, yeah. you know, the manuscript. It's like a work of art. Huh. Good stuff. Well, yeah, let's keep learning better. Yeah. That's exciting to hear some of the inner workings of the center. Wonderful. So pass along. And I love to learn. Yeah, I've been really into this day. I mean, we manage it. We manage so much of it. Yeah. Like, we have about we have like now close to four hundred thousand in our database. God. Oh my God. It's amazing. It's amazing. So I've really been trying to be disciplined about, yeah, all of these are individuals. I mean, some are like, you know, obnoxious troll individuals, but still individuals at the end of the day. Trolls are individuals. Trolls are people too. They are. They are. They are annoying people. Individuals. Okay, well, good to see you. Appreciate you. Thank you very much. We'll be in touch. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.